If you have your Bible this morning, would you open it to Titus chapter 2? If you have one of the church Bibles that's located uh, near one of the doors, uh, uh, there are black Bibles there and there are red Bibles there. The red ones have a little bit larger print. If you want to make yourself available to one of those, get in the habit of grabbing one of those as you come in, page 856 in one of the black Bibles and 18, uh, excuse me, 835 in the black Bibles and 1856 in the red Bibles, you will find the book of Titus. Uh, I read a statement this week that really bothered me and was in a Christian magazine and was written by a rather influential Christian pastor. And he closed, almost closed his argument uh, that he was making in this article with this statement. Uh, Our churches will put up with a lot of bad teaching as long as they get out by noon. And he said that with a little tongue in cheek, but there is enough truth in what he said to make me uncomfortable with that statement. It was in the context of an article on the importance of preaching short sermons, and I agree wholeheartedly that many times in all things in life, less is more. I used to preach seven and eight-point messages, and I try now to preach one-point messages. I know it. And I found out that your um, mind can only comprehend what your seat can endure. And holding you here for 45 and 50 minutes does not mean that you have uh, got more out of the sermon than we held you here for 20 to 25 minutes. But while I agree with the premise of his argument, um, I very much struggle with the statement that your church will put up with poor teaching as long as they're out by noon because that means that in the church there are people there only for their convenience and for truth to some people is is not really that important and as long as they get to champs on time or whatever it is that they're heading to and that that bothers me greatly friends i I hope the reason you come to church is to hear truth i hope the reasons you come to church is to be taught in the whole context of what I'm getting ready to do here, the, the, the event the, of, of preaching, there's a time of preaching, there's a time of proclamation, but there's also a time of, of teaching. And both of those things t- come together. And I would hope that you would walk in to any church, that you would walk in the front door and you walk in with a sense of anticipation as what does God have for me today? What does God have for me today? And not... Something like, well, I hope we get out by, in your case, 10:15, or you hope you get out by noon. That statement that churches will put up with a lot of bad teaching as long as they're out for noon really bothers me, and I think it would have bothered the Apostle Paul as well. Because in the book of Titus, 14 times in three chapters in the little book of Titus, he uses the word teach or teaching or instruction or a word that means that. And Paul has left Titus in charge on the island of Crete to be able to lead the churches. And Paul is, and Titus is probably not like he pastors one church. He's probably the leader of many churches. And, and Paul, in this book of Titus, says, this is what I want you to teach. And make sure that we're teaching sound and proper stuff to our people on the island of Crete. 
And Paul sees it as an evangelism thing, that, that we have got to teach our people that we live different and distinct lives because that'll make the, the grace of God even more attractive for them. And you know, you know that to be true because you know of skeptics and unbelievers who put down the things of God because they don't see change in the life of believers. Well, I could just live just like her. I don't even go to church, and I, I'm a better person than he is. And Paul is concerned that, that false teachers have come into Crete and are teaching that you can just live any way you want to because God has forgiven you and God and uh, through the Apostle Paul in chapter 2, verse 11, uses these words that I read for you at prayer time. For the grace of God, for the grace of God has appeared to all people, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age. In this present age. Well, in the by and by, well, in the by and by, everything's going to be great. In the by and by, I'll be the, perfect, uh, the person that God wants me to be. In the by and by, there'll be no more tears. And, and all that is true. And we will, be, we will be perfect in heaven. But the Apostle Paul says there's something else that's also true. That the grace of God teaches us something. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age. In this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope. We talked about a few weeks ago that we felt like reading Apostle Paul, he thought that Jesus was coming back pretty soon. And we got people today that name dates and say he's coming back soon. And maybe he is. Maybe he's coming back this afternoon. But Apostle Paul seems to think right here, man, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people of his very own, eager to do what is good, who gave himself for us so we can endure this life and go to heaven one day. Who, who gave himself for us so we can just hold on and make it to heaven one day. Who gave himself for us so we can just hold the fort down here, endure all the stuff in this world until we make it to the by and by. No, that's not what it says. Who gave himself for us. Why did he die for us? Why did he die for us? Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people of his very own, eager, eager. When I, when I say the word eager, I think of eager beavers, this eager. Have you ever heard anybody say, I think you've heard me say it, I love what I once hated, and I hate what I once loved. There's been a change inside of me. That's when I say, that's, that's what, when I think of the word eager, I, I don't think of somebody who's motivated to do something. Well, I guess I have to go do that. No, they're eager because there's been a change on the inside. They're eager, eager to do what is good. 
But friends, I want to spend some time this week, the next six weeks, talking about that the grace of God teaches us to say yes to some things. It teaches us to say no to some things. And you know what? It teaches us to say maybe to some things. Because we're gracious people and because the grace of God teaches us, there are some things that people have certain convictions about that I don't have a conviction about. And I can't make in black and white in Scripture what's not in black and white in Scripture. So you may have a conviction about that, and I don't have a conviction about that, and I may have a conviction about this, and you don't have a conviction about that, and I can't put you down in your Christianity or think I'm more of a Christian than you are because I do something, I, I can do something that you don't, or I don't want to do something that you do. Uh, there are some things that the grace of God teaches us to say maybe to, that we kind of live and let live on that, that we kind of accept one another on that. We don't have a Christianity of no. I don't go here. I don't go here. I don't say that anymore. I don't. No, 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 no. That's not it. But there are some things we say no to. The Bible says the first thing we say no to here is ungodliness. And we don't like that word. And we say, well, when we're talking about the church, why are we talking about ungodliness? Friends, the definition of ungodliness in the original language is the word asabia. It literally means without worship. It literally means without worship without reverence, without awe, without the fear of God. It it, it means that God is not relevant in your life. It means that you live a life without thought of God, without concern for His will, without concern for His glory, without dependence upon Him. It's, It's living as if God did not exist. It's not sinful acts. As you, as you look at the Word in other places, as you investigate the Word, it's not unsinful acts. It's an attitude. It's an attitude of without reverence, without awe, without relevance for God, without considering what God would want on that, without thought of God. And some of you are sitting there, well, this doesn't have anything to do with me. Well, boys, I studied it this week. It had something to do with me. And I had to dig into my life and become very self-reflective and be able to think, are there godless parts of my life? Are there parts of my life where God is not relevant? Are there parts in my life where I'm not trusting in God? Is there parts in my life where I really don't give thought of God in that area? Is there part of my life that I'm not concerned with His will or concerned with His glory or depending upon Him? And I had to very soberly, and we did this at staff meeting as well, we went around the room and we talked about are there godless parts of our life. Not that it's huge, huge sin, because that's not what the word means. Are there areas in my life where I've got that under control and and God really doesn't have to get into that area? That would be a godless part of my life. Are are there parts of my life where where, where I'm not leaning and trusting and depending and and, and leaning hard, and, and if God doesn't show up, and I, I, there are parts of my life that I can get it done on my own, and if there are those, that's, that's a part of my life where God is not relevant. 
and I would be an ungodly person. You know what I found in my life? Only the people who are really serious about living holy lives even consider this stuff or even self-reflective enough or even take the time to look inside enough to be, well, is this true of me? Is God involved in that part of my life? So when the Bible teaches us to, when the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness, I ask you, is there a godless area, areas of your life? Where in that area you don't give too much thought of God. Where in that area you are not leaning real hard. Or in that area, you really hadn't processed what the will of God would be. In that area where, where it's not, you really never thought, well, I need to give God glory in that area. James chapter 4 describes this type of attitude. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. James chapter 4. It describes this attitude of, Asabia, it's the word. It's, it's ungodliness. It's, it's, it's without worship, without awe, without the fear of God. Chapter 4, verse 13. You've all heard this. But you never, maybe you never have associated it with ungodliness. Because after all, we thought ungodliness was sinful acts, living a horrible, horrible life. No, it's an attitude that leads to living that type of life. Uh, 4.13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Well, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that happens for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant, arrogant schemes, arrogance of the fact that I'm not considering God or that I'm in control of my life or that unless God wills, it won't happen. Arrogance. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. You see the attitude there? The attitude is not making about that you shouldn't make plans. That's not what it's saying. But I should not make plans without consideration of God. I remember, I remember Dr. Alan Coppage, my mentor at, at seminary. He was coming to preach a revival for me at my church in Kentucky, and we were in his office trying to find the date for that. And so we were, both had our schedules out in front of us, and we were trying to hammer out a date for that, and we really couldn't find a date. And we were really getting kind of frustrated because what worked into my schedule didn't work into his schedule, didn't work into the church's schedule, so forth and so on. And we were getting kind of frustrated. Then all of a sudden, without saying anything, Dr. Coppage said, Now, Father, we need help here. And he didn't look at me and say, Now, let's pray about this, Mark. He just kind of said, Now, Father, he just kind of started talking to him. And how instructive that was for a young Christian. He said, Father, we really need some help here. We, 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 we need you to be able to, 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 to help us fall on the right date. He modeled for me 
He modeled for me an inclusion in God in everything that we do. He modeled for me of the practicing the presence of God even in something that seems like it may be a secular endeavor and that's trying to work our schedules out. That God has to be involved in that. That we have to consider what God, or, or depend on God, or lean on God in all of that. The same man had a small group of other professors at seminary. And when Dr. Coppage moved homes, he, he took that home decision to that small group and said, you know, I want you all to consider this. I want you all to help me process this. The Bible says that there's, there's a, a safety in a multitude of counselors. And, and I want you all to help me process this. Does this seem like to be the right thing? It was kind of a fixer-upper kind of house. And he, and he took them and, and walked them through the house. And what do you think? And, and, you know, I don't want to make this decision in a vacuum. That seems to be a that seems to be a type of attitude, a type of spirit, where I want God involved in everything. I, I wonder, can I, as a Christian, can I buy a home? Can I make out my schedule in a godless way? That's what this word means. That's what this word means. And Paul says that the grace of God teaches us to say no to godless parts of our lives. I was in basketball coaching for 14 years eight years as a college coach and six years as high school coach and been around athletics all my life. And friends, when it comes into the area of athletics, Christians can be godless. Can be godless. Well, that's just my competitive nature coming out. Well, how about my spiritual nature coming out? Well, you just don't know how competitive I am. Is God not Lord over that? Is he not relevant in that part of your life? Are you not depending on him to help you with that part of your life? Are you not wanting to please and glorify him on the football field or the basketball court, just like you want to do in church on Sunday morning? See, if, if someone has that opinion about something, they are godless in that area. And Paul says that the grace of God teaches us to say no to that. Teaches us to say no to a life that is compartmentalized. Teaches us to say no to a life where I've got my Christian stuff right here and I've got everything else over here. I remember I went to rent a building from somebody. We were planting the church in Georgia. We went to try to rent a building from this guy and he didn't want to rent it to us because we were a church. And he goes, and he's very quick. He said, now I'm a Christian and all that now. I said, he said, just like that. He said, I'm a Christian and all that now. 
I said, well, good, good, good. But I don't like to mix my religion with my business. He's godless in that area. He would be godless in his business if he gives no thought of God, no dependence on God, no desire for his glory in his life in that area. So the question to me this week that I battled with, the question to the staff that I gave to on Tuesday, and the question that I give to you now, even though we may not think of ourselves as ungodly people, and if, if I would even, even this conversation and the word ungodliness kind of makes us, ooh, I don't, want, I don't like to be called that. But can we deal with it? And can, can we have such a desire to please God in our lives that there would not be a single area of our lives that we would be without worship, without reverence, without awe, without depending on him, without concern with his will, without thinking about what he thinks about that area. You know what this is, friends? This is holiness. This is holiness. That God is so... He's got me. And it's just impossible for me to have this part that's not God and this part because he's just... Got me. There are some maybes of the Christian life. We have people here that have some freedom, maybe to do some things that other people here don't. We have some people here that may have some freedom to go to some places that other people don't. We have some people here that have firm convictions on some things that other people may not. And that's okay. If those things are not in black and white in God's Word, those could be maybe things for us. And we'll talk about those as we go on. But you know what bothers me about the maybe things of Scripture? Is that people don't process them and think about them. They just... They just do them, and they never even thought, well, maybe maybe, I should, maybe God doesn't want me to do that. And, and when you start reflecting on it and thinking about it and trying to match it up with God's Word, you may find out, well, maybe I shouldn't do that. Or maybe you find out, I don't really see where God has an admonition against that. The desire of my heart as a pastor is that you would deal with that and come to a conclusion and not just be a non-thinking person about that. And, and that equally committed Christian may come to this decision, and an equally committed Christian may come to this decision, because after all, it's not in black and white. And even though you may come to two different decisions, you've talked it out, you've thought it out, you've prayed it out, and you do something not just because everybody else does. No, you've, you've, you've thought it, you've prayed it, you've studied it out. And you may come to two different conclusions, but you know what? That's still holy because you've considered God. You, you, in both decisions, you've given thought of God. You've made God relevant in both of those decisions because there are maybes. 
As we go on, we'll talk about some no's and we'll talk about some yeses. The challenge to me this week and the challenge to you is are there godless parts of our lives? Part that I do not give thought to God. Part that I do not consider his will. Part that I'm not concerned for his glory, for for him to be glorified in my life. Parts where I'm not really depending upon him. And I can't tell you what that is for you. And you can't tell me what that is for me. Only God can. And has he talked to you about something? Or maybe maybe should I say this? Are you open to him talking to you about a godless part? of your life. I've had to be this week. And it's caused me to make some changes. How about you? Let's pray about that. Father, it, 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 it cuts pretty sharp to think that there may be a godless part of my life. And maybe for some of these folks here, there's not. There's not one. But Father, I pray for all of us that we would be open to you and your still small voice talking to us about that. And we just wouldn't say something like, well, I've been a Christian for 40 years. I'm not ungodly. That our heart would be tender enough. Our heart would be open enough to consider, are there places without worship in our lives? Are there places without awe and reverence in our lives? Are there places where we don't think of you? Are there places where we don't depend on you? Are there places we don't consider your will? God, keep us from being compartmentalized Christians. Keep us from being Christians that set you to one side and call on you when we need you. May we be Christians that are fully engaged in you and what you have for us. And may not a day go by that we don't consider what you would want or what you would think in all of our decisions. Father, I I believe with all my heart you're pleased with that type of man and that type of woman. I believe with all my heart That's what it means to be entirely sanctified. I believe with all my heart that's what it means to be a holy person. And you've told us through your word that your grace teaches us that. May we adhere ourselves to the teaching. May we submit ourselves to your truth this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.